This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA, the Microsoft Exchange cyber hack. This is literally as serious as it gets. Stephen Adair, president of DC-based cybersecurity firm Velocity, says the attack started out with the hackers reading just emails. Where it ended up is now is a kind of a catastrophe. The first bug was linked up with a second bug, which took advantage of the first hack. They exploit it and they place these backdoors that now give them access to your network, to your mail server, to, to much more than just email. And who's at risk? There's no one who is really immune from it. We're talking like mom and pop shops, small businesses, middle-sized businesses. We're talking giant corporations, things like Ministry of Foreign Affairs in foreign countries. And even though Microsoft has rolled out patches, it's not over yet. Details coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. On the 2nd of March, Microsoft put out a blog that said, we're sharing information about a state-sponsored threat actor identified by the Microsoft Threat Intelligence Center that we are calling Hafnium. Hafnium, they said, operates from China. It's the first time we're discussing its activity. It's a highly skilled and sophisticated actor. In a nutshell, Microsoft's Exchange server software was attacked. There were three steps. First, it would gain access to the server. Second, it would create a web shell to control the compromised server remotely. And then third, it would use that remote access, according to Microsoft, run from the U.S.-based private servers to steal data from an organization's network. I can tell you that this is a massive, massive and serious problem. But that may not mean much coming from me, but coming from the person whose team discovered it, Steve Adair, president of Velexity, located in the Washington, D.C. area, it might resonate more with you. So now, our interview with Stephen Adair. Mr. Adair, when did you first discover this hack? The time that we discovered it was in late January uh, when we were kind of investigating some anomalous activity on one of our customers' email servers. Um, and, you know, we didn't know what we were looking at at first. And we started digging in, kind of launched a real, a pretty thorough, pretty big investigation to kind of explain some anomalous traffic leaving their mail server. Um, we basically ended up uncovering this, one of the, the core vulnerabilities um, and determined that, you know, a cyber espionage operation to steal email uh, was underway. Um, and then ultimately we linked it back to this, one of these big bugs, a big vulnerability in Microsoft Exchange. Um, and then looking back, we we're able to come up to the data basically January 3rd. It's kind of the earliest we could say this, you know, this activity was definitely going on. That's really interesting. Um, how, how did you come across this or how did your team or whoever come across this? Yeah. So what's interesting is that the, the nature of the, what they were doing or what the, you know, the Chinese APT group was doing in the beginning 
was under the radar. It's quite stealthy. It's something that security products, you know, the most part aren't going to flag on your antivirus, your, your endpoint detection and response systems. Um, nothing kind of out of the ordinary for what a mail server should be doing, you know, would, would be noted. So the way that we ended up finding it was we do, uh, you know, amongst other things, network security monitoring um, for various companies. And we kind of had an anomalous set of traffic leaving their mail server that caused us to kind of like investigate it. We like zeroed in, kind of taking a look at why is this happening? You know, what's causing it? Um, and as we, we kind of, you know, put everything under the microscope, uh, we said, Hey, this, this doesn't make sense. Um, and, you know, initially we actually thought, uh, the customer's email server itself was hacked, you know, uh, which you know, we learned later that that could have been as an option that was on the menu. Um, but, but it wasn't. Um, and we ended up kind of doing a, you know, looking into, you know, different forensics artifacts, you know, system memory. Um, and we actually were able to find this vulnerability, recreate it ourselves, um, you know, get it working in a lab environment, permission from customers to test it in their environment. And we could just read email of anyone we wanted uh, with basically no other information needed. Um, and, you know, we reported to Microsoft at that point. Um, and it kind of, you know, went from there. Wow, that's pretty significant. Can can you characterize the seriousness of this this particular hack? Yeah, I mean, this is this is literally as serious as it gets. So if we took where we started, and that was just reading, uh, I won't say just. I mean, that was reading. That was only at the time reading emails, which is a very significant and, and, and something you don't want to happen. If someone can arbitrarily go to your organization, start reading emails to anyone in the company, that is absolutely bad. That's horrific. Where it ended up is now is a kind of a catastrophe. Um, they used the first vulnerability that we found, that first bug, um, and they kind of chained it together with a, a second bug that allows you know attackers to place backdoors into what was called a web shell on the exchange servers in an environment. So your your company runs an email server, you know it's, it has to be on the internet because you have to be able to you know get mail. People use webmail and things like that. The attackers come in. They exploit it and they place these backdoors that now give them access to your network, to your mail server, to, to much more than just email. Um, and what happened is, you know, a little over a week ago, you know, not this past weekend, but the one before, um, attackers basically started widespread exploiting these paired vulnerabilities to compromise and backdoor organizations literally globally. You know, we're talking at least tens of thousands of organizations, if not, you know, hundreds of thousands or, you know, easily into the hundred thousand you know, and they were doing all of this before there was a patch. There was no remedy available. I mean, people were not aware um, that this was something, you know, like was going on. They didn't really have an option. The only option you could have done before this, for the most part, would be to turn off, you know, a lot of the services into your mail server. So, I mean, it's it just, it, it's kind of, it's about as bad as it gets for anyone running Microsoft Exchange. Um, you know, I'm glad that they got a patch out. Everything got, you know, provided on Tuesday, but unfortunately a significant number of organizations had already been breached then. Um, and the patch does not remedy, you know, web shells or backdoors that had already been put in place prior to the, you know, becoming available. Okay. Can you talk about some of these organizations that, that have been, 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 been victimized and you can speak generally, um, who, who's, who's included in the range of organizations that that are impacted here? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's where, that's the, that's the scary part. And that's where it kind of touches home to like anyone and everyone. So, if you, you know, and there's a lot of people that moved to the cloud. So there's some organizations that maybe, you know, weren't impacted, but a significant number of people still run their own mail servers. They run Microsoft exchange or pay someone to do it for them. Um, and we're talking like mom and pop shops, small businesses. We're talking, you know, middle-sized businesses. We're talking, you know, giant corporations where, you know, we're seeing things like ministry of foreign affairs in, you know, foreign countries. I mean, this is, this is government, this is commercial, this is private sector. This is a nonprofits. These are, you know, small shops, big shops. It's, there's no, there's no one who is really immune from it, you know, 
um, you know, if they're running Microsoft Exchange. I mean, granted, some some cases where it turns out if you were running a version of the software that was really, really old, um, you might have actually been protected from this vulnerability. But for the most part, it's it's across the board. It's all verticals. It's all sectors. Um, and and that's kind of a you know a really interesting facet to that. We've had many people reach out to us for forensics and work, and we're we're literally seeing this. You know, as we knew, we know we know these people are all vulnerable. But the the type of folks reaching out to us, they just really range from financial institutions to you know high schools or college and universities or to stores or you know defense contractors. I mean, it's it's literally across the board. You know, we have heard through a number of different uh, media and, and sources, and I think the government has said this, too, that this was likely the work of a Chinese advanced persistent threat group called Hafnia. What can you tell us about that? Yeah. So, you know, for us, we kind of would have at Velocity, you know, we would have kind of said, hey, we believe this to be the work of a Chinese uh, APT actor, you know, advanced persistent threat APT. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's kind of up to the Intel community and some of those folks to do true attribution, but that's kind of what we were leaning towards. Microsoft came out and they kind of used the, um, you know, an element from the periodic table to kind of give threat groups names and they called it Hafnium. So the, the Hafnium threat group, you know, is believed to be operating out of China. Um, it's, you know, state sponsored this type of activity that this is not a, you know, a side project or something you just do for fun or someone's in their basement, you know, trying out, this is like a serious operation where, you know, they clearly have certain goals and objectives um, and they're able to use these more advanced techniques to achieve them. So, I mean, that's that's certainly what we're seeing. That's what we believe this started. Um, you know, so when we had this more targeted under the radar operation going through early January through, um, you know, through February to the end of February, pretty much, um, to now pivoting to what we think is potentially multiple threat actors. So is that um, happening and sharing the exploit with their friends? Um, did someone else stumble upon it via other means? You know, we don't, we don't know the answer to that, but it's kind of in the hands of many people now, but it certainly started out, um, you know, as a, a Chinese APT cyber espionage operation. And we do believe that to be the case. This is really interesting. Um, this coming on the on uh, on the heels of the Sol- solar winds attack in January. Um, yep. How does this? Where does this leave the U.S.? Which is still, I think, to the best of my ability to understand, trying to figure out how to mitigate that situation. Now this one, where does this leave us? Yeah. So this, you know, where does it leave us? I mean, in, in some ways, you know, these are types of attacks, you know, they, they happen, you know, frequently and not under, you know, some really bad attacks and breaches happen with never seeing the light of day. These are just so, you know, they see the light of day, they're really bad and they're so widespread. So, you know, it, it's tough to say, where does it leave us? I mean, we're just seeing such a wide impact of it. You know, solar winds was, was very large involving potentially, thousands or, you know, low tens of thousands of organizations. And now here we're talking something that might be, you know, well over a hundred thousand, you know, it's, you know, there's no like one way to deal with it. And there's no one specific objective of these attackers. So, I mean, and unfortunately, you know, due to the nature of just the way breaches or visibility and things work, we're not really going to know the, uh, you know, the full scope of who was, ever, who was compromised and, you know, what happened from all of it. So, I mean, and I think the same is potentially true, of, you know, solar winds, we worked several components of that breach. Um, and um, some serious uh, theft and, and damage was done. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, these attackers have a head start on folks and, and they're kind of up to people to conduct investigations and dig in and look back and kind of see what's going on to try and try and deal with it. And I think, I don't know that, I don't know where we go specifically, because I don't know that, you know, uh, we even have a full grasp on it. And I don't think organizations that have been breached will necessarily always have a full grasp on it. It's just a, you know, it's, I don't know. It, it's a mess and it's, it's becoming, I don't know. I hope it, it doesn't become standard that we see these like really large breaches, but 
you know, very impactful small breaches happen all the time. Um, and now we're seeing kind of an increase again of large scale impactful breaches. And you know, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's yeah. not good. Let's talk for a minute about um, the propensity of hackers to improve their skill sets. And of course, um, technology is helping. Several years ago, in fact, about 10 years ago, maybe a little more, a, a DOD intelligence or DOD official, I should say, was testifying at a confirmation hearing. It was the confirmation of, at that time, NSA Director um, Keith Alexander. This individual said that at that time, the hackers led by China had stolen the equivalent of multiple libraries of Congress. The Library of Congress being the largest library in the world um, is loaded with stuff, 15, 20 terabytes of stuff. Yep. It's my understanding that through the years, <clears throat> hackers, and China is somebody referred to them as the varsity uh, when it comes to this, um, have improved their skill sets such that they can steal that that kind of information within a few day, a few days now, if not less time. Um, give me your sense of just how serious these hackers who are essentially connected to Chinese intelligence based on what you see, or China, I should say, based on what you see, how dangerous they are. Yeah, I mean, so that I think those those previous statements are absolutely true. I think they continue to be true. And as we have more and more data coming, you know, online and we have like hot, you know, faster internet connections, you know, the ability to get that data out quickly. Uh, I mean, we've been investigating you know, these types of breaches, like cyber espionage breaches for, you know, over 10 years. And and back then, that didn't surprise me. We had these different groups that were just stealing and plundering left and right. Um, I think now, to be completely honest, due to some of the solutions, some of the things that have gone on, it's becoming um, less visible. Sometimes the targets change. But yeah, the, the data theft continues. But I, I think some of what we're seeing now, too, is like other actors that maybe um, have kind of been on the board, but maybe... Uh, less visible, or you know, maybe they've, they've ramped up a bit what they've done. You know, we, we see kind of similar large levels of theft. You know, maybe not you know as widespread aimed at intellectual property and stuff as you know things that's been you know uh, attributed to China. But you know, we see you know Vietnam, uh, we see Iran, you see North Korea. You know, obviously we've seen Russia and, and whatnot for a long time. But these organizations are you know also getting in the mix. So if you combine all of this, the amount of data being stolen or information being leaked or disinformation campaigns that are occurring as a result of some of this. It's, it's staggering. What is it, back to China, what is it that they want to do with all of this information that they're stealing? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I don't know that for sure, right? So I can only, I can only speculate, I can only guess, because I don't, I'm not, you know, we're not the intelligence community, we're not on the, you know, re receiving end or, or the visibility on, you know, the impact of what's happening. But, you know, depending on who the victim is and what the target is, I mean, clearly, you know, trade secrets are things that give you a leg up on the competition, things that save you money. If I don't have to spend a billion dollars or a trillion dollars or, you know, however much something costs the research and I can steal it from someone um, in my spare time or, you know, with a week's worth of work, you know, this pays for like, you know, it, I don't know, 10 decades worth of like staff salaries, right? If you can save your, your company or, or well, your country, you know, billions of dollars, right? So, I mean, the, the cost, you know, the, the cost benefit is easily there. Um, and, and that's definitely one big part of it. Um, and then, you know, I, I think the other one is like strategic conversations, right? So if it goes into something that, you know, has to do with uh, our government or people understanding, you know, policy or, you know, kind of getting that insight, knowing what people are thinking. I mean, that, that kind of 
business level intelligence, strategic intelligence. I think that is all has, has been and continues to be a key thing that they go after to where some of what they're, they're grabbing, what they're looking at is not something that's necessarily going to make its way into a, you know, a fighter jet or some kind of, um, you know, chemical formula or something like that. It's stuff that informs them, how lets them make better decisions or, uh, can help them have the leg up. And I mean, I think that's what intelligence gathering and, and, and espionage operations are, are about in some ways, but you know, they, it's, it's visible to us that, you know, that's probably a bit of what they're after and what they're going after and have been going after. It's my understanding, um, back to Microsoft, that this particular vulnerability had been out there for a while, um, for a number of years. And I'm just wondering, um, is this typical for something like that to be out there for that long? It's my understanding there was a, an exchange server 2010 um, that apparently was, a, I think there was a, some kind of uh, work process where they were upgrading and fixing and securing things, some of which had been existing for a while from 2013 to 2019, but they left that one. Um, is it typical for companies to realize a decade later that, hey, we've got a vulnerability there or maybe not even know it? Yeah, the I would say definitely the 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 not know it part. They, they clearly didn't know about this, and, and it wasn't something you know they were you know just sitting on. I mean, I would I would have to believe that to be the case. So yeah, you know, software you know since the beginning of time, the day there was a piece of software, there was a vulnerability. You know, these you know things like Microsoft Exchange. I mean, I'm not I'm not coding. I'm not on the Exchange development team, but I imagine it's an extremely complex piece of software. And I can't speak to like how hard or how difficult um, you know, coding that or fixing it or and all that is, but I'd imagine that it's no trivial task. And, you know, obviously this has wide ranging implications that all of us, you know, Microsoft, you know, probably at the top of the list wish, you know, hadn't happened. And they wish that they got a patch before, you know, this really, you know, sold the light of day or was used in the wild. But, you know, the, the nature of just things being developed in these really complex pieces of software, they, they lead themselves to have vulnerabilities and bugs. I mean, there's software out there where, you know, you can tell this, this bug they had is kind of unforgivable because that's used in, uh, you know, the, the high school class to tell you not to do that or something, you know, those type of things, you know, you hope not to see, but some of these things are really, I mean, there's some really smart people out there who dig into this and they find things that just are very difficult, whether it's a, a manual or an automated process to find. And, you know, that's, that's just a bit of what researchers do. And that's definitely what, um, you know, should, a a similar type of role in a, a government be, you know, to find these flaws to put like, you know, people with big, you know, like big brain power on it to try and find a way to, you know, exploit these flaws and, and take advantage. And it's a, uh, you know, you have a lot of people going up against you. It's a, it's a tough thing for them, but you know, Microsoft has an entire team, the, you know, MSRC, the Microsoft security resource center mm -hmm. research. Sorry. I don't remember what MSRC stands for. We get um, it. They, you know, <laughs> Microsoft has an entire team called MSRC who's dedicated to receiving reports and kind of dealing with product and other vulnerabilities to their products. So, I mean, they're, they're aware that this happens and it's, it's been going on for many years, different flaws and, and they have a process to try and address it. And fortunately, sometimes the, the reporting um, and widespread exploitation and the, and the fix don't always um, align in the, the perfect way. Okay. A um, couple more things. What are you telling your customers who may be calling you and saying, Hey, do I have to worry about this? Yeah. So, I mean, what we're telling our customers, yeah, absolutely. Right. So if you were, I mean, we, we reached out to our customers, like, Kind of early on and kind of like we had a you know we usually know if they run exchange or advising them if they have others and kind of take a, a you know the appropriate action so earlier on hey you need to potentially cut off um you know port 443 or these these avenues in you know ahead of a patch and ensuring that they patch right away so 
Um, but it's the, the folks that we haven't worked with before they're coming in, they're saying, Hey, what should we do? And, and obviously, you know, we want to be able to run investigations and collect all this data and kind of be able to go back and say that something happened, but we're, you know, we're saying you have to take action. If you haven't patched, you need to apply this patch, make sure your server is secure, um, or it's otherwise cut off from the internet. Um, and it's, it's one or both of those, depending on like the scenario, because, you know, you can't take chances with this type of stuff. You don't want to, you know, you want to have, you want to be online and, and everything working, but at the same time, you don't want to have an intruder plundering all your data or ransomware in your server, um, you know, or, or to kind of taking things that can be even, even worse as a, a result of, um, you know, having to worry about an availability concern. So we're advising them, you know, patch, get it secure, but really, really important that people take away, even if you're patched and secure, you patch the moment the patch was there, the, you know, the, the update, the patch was available on last Tuesday, you still need to look backwards and figure out where was I breached before I patched my server. So I might be safe now from a new attack, but I might have a ticking time while I'm still sitting on my server. And I think that's a really important takeaway we've been trying to give to everyone, uh, whether they're customers or not. Okay, Stephen, last thing. Um, it seems as though the U.S. has been on its heels for a while when it comes to these hacks, whether whether it's Russia, whether it's China, whether it's who knows, you know, Iran or North Korea or the spiders, you know, it just seems like the U.S. has been on its heels. Are we just hearing more about this or is there a significant uptick in the 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 number of attacks and the severity of the attacks on the U.S.? Yeah, so I think it's, it's a little bit of both. So the some of these these type of attacks, what happened with solar winds, that supply chain attack and, and the level of which it extended and how it was done um, And this one, for example, the a remote, you know, a remote way in to target people running Microsoft Exchange. These are very significant, um, you know, vulnerabilities. And then there's been some other things, you know, before that were uh, very critical to organizations, but maybe a little bit less widespread, but no less, um, if you were running the software, no less damaging or important. But yeah, it, there is a bit of uptick. There's more players in the space, and, you know, there's more security solutions, and there's also more visibility on it. So I, I just think it's really just a combination of everything. Um, you know, there is, you know, when you play defense or you have to be on the receiving end of something, you know, you, you have to kind of protect against everything. It's a really daunting task, right? It's like, you know, I, I have to be prepared for anything. You can't stop everything from happening. And it kind of, at the end of the day, it comes back to what's the response. And some of the response is up to the vendors. Some of the response is up to the customers and the people running the software. Um, and then there's also this notion now, which we're seeing, um, you know, more involvement of say like DHS, CISA. Um, and they've been doing, in our opinion, like an outstanding job of kind of reaching out um, and getting um, stakeholder engagement, whether that's, you know, federal government, state government, you know, local municipalities, and, and even reaching out to like small, like businesses and companies that they are able to kind of reach out to. So I know a lot of people learned about this or otherwise took it more seriously because DHSC have jumped on it immediately. And that was actually one of the things I think has improved quite a bit, you know, over the last five, six years. Wow. Well, that's a lot of information, and I appreciate you taking time to share it with us because what it does is it puts things into stark uh, contrast to uh, what we knew before. I mean, all we knew before was that there was this massive hack, uh, and we, we thought the Chinese were behind it, and that um, it affected a whole bunch of people. Now we know what it was, when you found it, how you found it, um, how it impacts people, who it impacts, you know, what the outlook is, and we've got a lot of things answered. And Stephen Adair, president of Velexity, um, thank you for taking time to share all this with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, JJ. I appreciate it. Stephen Adair, president of Velexity. So as you heard, this situation with the Microsoft Exchange hack is not over. And the threat 
as a general matter, is even worse than that. And coming up in our next episode. Uh, I truly believe that our greatest threat we face is manifested through what we've seen the last decade, our, our adversaries, mostly Russia, China, and a little bit Iran, inside our critical infrastructure. Bill Evanina, the recently retired director of the National Counterintelligence and Security Center. And he's going to say, if we're not careful, these adversaries could shut us down. The ability for any given moment, uh, our adversary to shut off our power grids, our electrical grids, gas, natural oil, um, or the ability to have cyber um, malfeasance in those areas, to me, is our greatest threat long-term and short-term. And I think we're at a space now where we have a cyber outage, we have a power outage, we're automatically thinking, was this a nation-state threat? A candid look at where we stand from the person who's perhaps the best-placed individual to give that candid assessment. That's it for this week's episode. If you have any questions or comments, send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, one word, at whiskeytangooscarpapa.com. jgreen at wtop.com. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast. Also, if you'd like, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security information, you can find it on my newsletter, Inside the Skiff, and you can find it at WTOP.com slash alerts. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. 100,000 downloads in a day. Be among the first to hear season two of the American Nightmare podcast series, an incredible true crime case. Sherry Crandall actually almost predicted her demise. A nurse murdered inside her hospital. DNA, fingerprints, even an eyewitness haven't helped solve this case in 23 years. But now, two decades later, police say they may finally have their big break. I'm DC crime reporter Paul Wagner. Join me for season two of an American Nightmare series, Murder in a Safe Place, a WTOP production. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.